This evening we'll be picking up in verse 14. So Paul having in chapter one disclosed the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ in chapter two defined the work of Christ and how he's raised the dead to life and how he's brought in those who were far off and thus far in chapter three uh, revealed the mystery to Paul and, and, and um, unto the Gentiles. And so here is followed a prayer for spiritual strength. So Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We're gonna stop there. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you now for speaking through your word which has been read. We thank you that the spirit who wrote that word attends the reading of it but we also know that he attends the preaching of it. And so, Father, we pray that you, would, that you would indeed speak to us this evening, uh, that you would open up this passage to our hearts, that we would behold our need for Christ and be transformed by your power. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you are uh, a regular attender to Thursday evening Bible study, and this is a shameless plug that you should be, um, then about last fall, uh, a few of you probably would have, you remember that we, we brought in this new chair into our living room. And it was a beautiful chair, chair that found, uh, Casey found at Goodwill. We got a sweet deal on it. Uh, it was cheap, it was beautiful, it, it fit perfect, it matched the floors, it matched the other furniture, it was great. But it had uh, this, this cane stuff, this wooden cane stuff, almost like pine straw looking stuff, a bit stronger than that, but pine straw looking stuff that made these beautiful designs on the back and on the sides. And it looked great. It it fit the living room wonderfully. But about three weeks later, it had been shredded to pieces. Um, One of the things that we have to ask in our family when we get ready to buy something or purchase something for the home is, is will it last? I mean, that's one of the things that we all ask questions about when we go to buy anything. Will it last? What what am I gonna be using it for? Where is it gonna be? Will it actually stand the test of time? Will it stand the test of three fairly wild boys? Will it it stand the test of uh, some fairly difficult abuse? Like, will will it hold up over the course of time? And I think it's very important to ask that question of the Christian life as well, right? In our scripture reading that Ross just read a few minutes ago from Luke chapter six, Jesus is kind of telling us, you know, okay, He's giving us, he's teaching us, how does the Christian life last? How do you stand the test of time? What, what do you do in order to, to, to build a strong house so that when the streams rise, the floods come, the structure and, and, the, and the building of the house doesn't topple over within a moment's time? What, what makes really a lasting Christian? Right, what are the primary needs 
of the Christian if he is to, to persevere to the very end? Like what is needed in order to build your house on the rock? And I think this question through Paul's prayer answers that question uh, in, in, in at least three uh, different ways. And the first one, what, is it, what does it take to, to, to make a lasting Christian? What, it, what makes a lasting Christian? The first one is, well, you need Christ dwelling before you need Christian decorum. All right, verse 14, Paul says that he bows his knees before the Father. So, so Paul approaches the Father in prayer. Right, up to this point in the book of Ephesians, we've, we've learned a bunch of different things. As I said a moment ago, we've learned about all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. We've learned about how God has predestined us and, and drawn us to himself. We've learned about how God has sovereignly saved for himself a people and how through the work of Christ, he's brought Gentiles into to be members of his household and partakers of the promises of God. God has saved his people, we learned from the, the, from the first half of the book of Ephesians. But as we read this prayer, I mean, the, the question kind of is, okay, God has saved his people. And so what now? Right, what, is the, what does the rest of the Christian life consist of? Right, now that the spirit of God has, has worked in accordance with the, uh, the sovereignty and election of God in accordance with applying the, the, the work of, of Christ what do we do for the next few decades uh, until we meet Jesus face to face? Like, wh- what is the Trinity doing in our lives? And so Paul, Paul prays with the fullness of God's attributes at his disposal, right? Accord, he's praying according, uh, according to the riches of God's glory, according to all that God is and all of his attributes. What is he praying for? Well, he's praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named the Father of all fathers that according to the riches of his grace, that according to all of the fullness of his attributes, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, we might expect that the Spirit of God, you know, on this side of our conversion, to be doing some wonderful things. But the question is, how do we define wonderful things? You know, I think if if we were, (laughs) if the Holy Spirit were to inspire us to rewrite the first part of verse 17, we would probably rewrite it a little bit differently. You know, we would say, we would say that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that you may receive gifts of the spirit. Right, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in, in your inner being so that you could display supreme acts of obedience. Or maybe, or maybe so that you could demonstrate exponential growth or, or maybe so that you could so that you could exhibit extreme maturity. Or maybe so that you could overcome your besetting sins that have plagued you for decades. But the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
Right? If, if, if we were writing the scriptures, we, would, we, would, we, we undervalue, we underprioritize this Christ who's dwelling in our hearts through faith. We, we would write it differently because we're, we're kind of bored with that, to be honest. Right? Isn't that what God does kind of at the beginning of the Christian life? And, and isn't that kind of a thing of the past? You know, isn't Christ dwelling in our hearts you know, something that's already happened, that the spirit of God by his power is already done? Like, don't we need new things Right? Shouldn't we be kind of skipping to other things? You know? But the reality is, is this, this is what must be, what must always be, what has to be the first and foremost top priority. I mean, one of the reasons it has to be top priority is because it's God's priority. Right? Look at the Trinitarian emphasis, even in these first handful of verses. Paul is praying to the Father that the power of the Spirit would be used, that Christ would dwell in our heart. We get, a, we get an insight into like the, the economy of the Trinity. What are they doing post-salvation where they're, they're planting Christ in the hearts of believers? Right? Christ is dwelling in his people's hearts. That what the, that's what the Trinity is doing even after he saved you. And so it demonstrates the fact that real growth on the Christian life, in the Christian life, never bypasses this. You can't grow as a Christian unless you have Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. And not just one time, but continually over and over and over and over. Growth in the Christian life is more defined really by how satisfied you are in Christ than how Christian you may look. Right, all growth, all actual growth, real growth, lasting growth begins here. It begins with Christ on the inside. Right, you can't skip, to use the, kind of the back half of my point, you can't skip to having Christian decorum without having Christ in your heart. Right, you, can't become, you, can, you can't start looking like a Christian without first having Christ dwell in your heart through faith. Right, you must have Christ first and foremost and forever before you can have anything else. Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith has to be the priority. It has to be both the starting place and the continuing place of sanctification. I mean, the reality is is that nothing real or good or lasting can happen unless Christ is dwelling in the hearts of his people. I mean, the temptation, again, in the Christian life is, is to skip that, though. Because in the back of our minds, we think, oh, that's, that's something I did in the past. That's, that's kind of a one-time thing, you know. Uh, I've grown up from the Lord Christ Jesus. When Ephesians chapter four tells us, no, we are to grow up into Christ Jesus. Right, the temptation of the Christian life is to skip the Lord Jesus and go straight to the decorum. It's, 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 the, it's the old saying, right? We, we wanna get the cart ahead of the horse. We wanna, we wanna look like Christians without actually having what it takes on the inside to make Christians. I mean, nobody's denying the fact that, that there is a good and right and proper place for Christian decorum. Right, we, we, we are called to look differently from the world. We are called to look like Christians. Right, we are supposed to walk in obedience to the Spirit. We're, we're supposed to demonstrate maturity. We're supposed to grow up into Christ. But, but the point is here in verse 17, the first part of it, is that one, it, all of those things must come as a result of Christ dwelling in our hearts.
And so how do we make sure that we've got the sequence right? right if, if, if I need Christ's dwelling before Christian decorum, you know, how, how do I make sure that I have that right? Or how do I, how do I know if I'm perhaps in a dangerous place? Right? How, how do I know if I've perhaps skipped that first step? How do I know if I've, I've just kind of started trying to look like a Christian instead of actually being one from the inside out? Well, I think there's a few of them, and some of them are a bit edgy, but I think they demonstrate the point. I, I think one of them is, is that we replace reading God's word with reading scholars. Should we read scholars? Absolutely. Right? As your pastors, as the leadership of the church, we want our people to be as well-versed in theology and Bible as they possibly can be. But that's not the same thing as communing with Christ through his word. Right? God uses the word of God, the spirit of God uses the word of God to change, to transform his people. He uses scholars to, to teach us and to grow us in our knowledge, but, but those two are not the same. Or maybe we, we replace communing with Christ with conversations with other Christians. Like, do we love it that our church fellowships together? Absolutely. Do we want, me to, do we want you to fellowship more? Absolutely. Do we want it to come at the expense of communing with Christ? Like, do we want it to come at the expense of, of prayer and meditation? Do we want it to come, to come at the expense of, of anything Christ-related? Absolutely not. Or maybe we replace the beauty of the gospel with kind of peripheral doctrines. Right? We get excited about eschatology and we get excited about highbrow theological terms, but the gospel just really isn't all that special anymore. Do we want our people to be as doctrinally sharp as they can be on this side of heaven? Absolutely we do. Do we want them to forget the beauty of the gospel? Absolutely we do not. So what is it that we really need to know? Well, Paul tells us exactly what we need to know. We need to know the love of Christ, right? What, what makes a lasting Christian? Number one, you need Christ dwelling before you need Christian decorum. Number two, you need to know Christ's love instead of Christianese. And I'll, I'll explain. Look at how, if you read through a chap, Ephesians chapter three, I mean, if you read through Ephesians as a whole, you can't help but be taken aback by, by the language that Paul uses in order to talk about Jesus. I mean, this is obvious even from, even from chapter three. I mean, starting last week in, in verse, or a couple weeks ago in verse eight, right, when Paul's talking about his preaching ministry, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul has such a conception of the Lord Jesus Christ that words can't fit it. They can't capture it in all of its fullness. And that's exactly what we see here in verses 17 and 18. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Second prayer request, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. 
You see the, the, the terms that he uses to describe the Lord Jesus and the love of Christ, the, the terms can't actually capture the thing. Right? His view of the love of Christ is so big that vocabulary can't capture it. It can't comprehend it. It can't keep it inside of itself. But that's what he wants the people in Ephesus to know. He wants them to know <laughs> the unsearchable riches of Christ. He wants them to know how big and grand the love of Christ is. He wants them to know how deep and how wide it is. He wants them to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. I mean, you you look at the way that Paul talks about the Lord Jesus and you can't help but ask yourself like, do I, do I speak of the Lord Jesus in that same way? I mean, do I, do I know Christ with that same depth? And I, probably most of us would say, no, ours is shallow in comparison to his. We don't think about the Lord Jesus in the same way. The, the reason, kind of going back to the prior point, the reason we tend to move on from the gospel to other things is, is usually not because we've exhausted its depths. Right, the reason we, we tend to kind of skip out, we, we, you know, we understand the gospel, we know what it is, we, we, we understand the love of Christ, we know what it is, and we kind of move on. There's the temptation to move on. To move on not because that we've exhausted its depths, but because, we, yeah, it's just kind of become bored. Like, what else is there to know? Aren't there, aren't there more exciting things out there to know? Well, yeah, there are, but, but this is the main one. We become bored with the love of Christ and instead, instead of kind of sharpening our knowledge for the love of Jesus, we, we start to sharpen our language. And spending, instead of spending our time under the means of grace, growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus, the temptation is to grow in our knowledge of, of Christianese. Right, the language, the, the, just the Christian language. Right, instead of soaking in the knowledge of the love of Christ, we, we skip to just learning how to speak Christian. I mean, perhaps it's to fit in or, or perhaps it's to, to kind of put on the appearance of growth. But the danger is, is that when we, when we come here and, and we come here not to learn of the love of Christ, but we come here to, the danger is that we might come here to just sharpen our language, to fit in. Right, we learn the terms without actually knowing the meaning. And the result of that is, well, the outside appearance looks great. Right? We look healthy on the outside, we look like we're growing when internally we're, we're bad and we're sick and we're stagnant. Trials and suffering and sin and temptation always reveal what's really under the hood. Right? They always reveal what's, what's inside the heart and so Paul prioritizes the fact that you need to know Christ's love more than anything else. And specifically, you need to know Christ's love more than you know Christianese. I think this is my frustration with contemporary country music. Like I grew up listening to country music. That's what I listened to for the first 12, you know, 15 years of my life. But I just can't stomach it these days. I think it's because of this reason. I think it's because, right, they, they use terms like dirt road. 
Like how many times do you hear that in a song, in a country song today? More than you should probably. Or other terms like bed of a truck or mud tires or just kind of anything else remotely Southern and they kind of plug them all together and then try to make it work. But how many of them have actually ever ridden on a dirt road before? Like how many people have ever actually like sat in the bed? How many own a truck? Like how many, how many have ever gotten their tires muddy at all? I mean, in your answer to that question, you'd probably be, you'd probably be very disappointed if, you're, if you like contemporary country music. Right? They employ the language, but they really know nothing of the reality. Right? They know nothing of the reality of what it, what it actually means to kind of live out in the country and away from the city and so on and so forth. The, the temptation for us as Christians is, is to, to be recipients of the means of grace but, but to grow in our knowledge of the language instead of our knowledge of the terms, right? To grow in our knowledge of how to speak Christian instead of growing in the knowledge of the love of Christ. And we have to be careful not to deceive ourselves into thinking that because we can speak the language that we actually know what it means. Paul is saying, no, you have to begin inside, Christ has to dwell in your hearts through faith. You have to be strengthened to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The question then is, well, how do I, how do I know if this is me? Well, do you know how to speak Christian yet at the same time know little of the love of Christ? Right? Do you know the Christian terms but not know the, their meaning or even further than that, not just know their meaning but know how they apply to you, to your heart? When we hear Christian testimonies as a session, we love the first person p- pronoun. Right? Jesus is m- not just a savior but my savior, not just the savior of his people but of me as one of his people. And so we have to be honest with ourselves and asking the questions, do, do I really know the truths of, of, of what I'm saying? But also, like, pray this prayer often. Right, that, that Christ, that, that, that God the Father would, would give us the strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Like that's not something that we can come up with, we can do on our own. It's, it's a product of God's work. It must be commissioned from heaven. So the reality is, is that the Christian life, both the, the beginning and the middle and the end is defined this way with Christ dwelling in our hearts with with us searching and hungering and thirsting for the knowledge of Christ right because we start with knowing Jesus does not mean that we ever grow past that right knowing Jesus is the entirety of the Christian life it's not just what gets you started it's it's what keeps you going it's not the tasks of of days gone by Right? No matter how long you've been a Christian, Paul says that you would know these things with all the saints, that you may have, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, including the ones who've just become Christians yesterday and the ones who've been Christians since the planning of the church. 
Right? The ones who've been there for a day and the one who's been there for, for a decade. This is the task of both of them. You don't grow out of a knowledge, a, a, a comprehending and knowing the love of Christ. Right? We don't learn Christianese. We shouldn't learn Christianese without learning the Lord Jesus. The entire sermon up to this point has kind of been dealing with this idea of, of, of being something that you're really not, right? And, and Paul's praying that the church really would, would be what it's supposed to be, that they really would uh, that they really would be have Christ dwelling in their hearts. They really would know the love of Christ, right? Not that they would be something else. I mean, what we're really talking about here is this sort of foe, like F-E-U-X, fake foe, godliness, yeah, how many times has the Bible warned against this? Right, so, so what does make a lasting Christian? Well, you need Christ dwelling before you need Christian decorum. We need to know the love of Christ more than we need to know Christianese and we need to be filled with God's fullness instead of faux godliness. This is the last, the third prayer that he actually gives at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a big prayer, <laughs> which I'm, I'm thankful that verse 20, though we're not gonna go over it tonight, but verse 20 follows verse 19, that, that God is able to do these things. Right, verse 19 is, is, is full, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what does he mean with all the fullness of God? What, what does that actually communicate? Well, I think it's helpful here to kind of think about, okay, who is God and how am I filled with him? Well, how does, how does the scriptures or how does... Uh, what do the scriptures say about who God is? And these two categories are helpful, right? The communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. Those, those attributes that he can give me and those attributes that he cannot give me that belong to him alone, that separate him, distinguish him from all the rest of creation. The shorter catechism like, it, it gives us kind of a really good answer as to what these are, right? What is God, Westminster Shorter Catechism 4? God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Those, that's not a complete list or an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty good one. What are, what are the incommunicable attributes, those things that belong to God and God alone that I can't have? Well, that's his, his infinity, his eternality, and his unchangeableness, Right, those first three words in the Shorter Catechism, he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Those things belong to him and him alone as God, as creator. But what are the things that, that, that he does work by the spirit of God to give me? What are the things, how, how do I grow in godliness? How do I grow to become more like him? Well, it's increasing in those other ones. Right, what does he communicate to me? Well, he gives me life, he gives me being. He gives me wisdom. He gives me power to overcome sin. He gives me holiness. He gives me justice to, to know what is the difference between right and wrong. He, he, he gives me goodness. He gives me truth. Now, these are all fruits of the Spirit of God, which actually flows really well with the rest of the passage. So what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? Well, it, it, it means to, be, to become godly, right? to be for, for God to attribute those communicable attributes to us, his creation, his redeemed people. And so the flow of the passage is, is this, right, that Paul prays 
that God the Father, who is the, the, the Father of all fathers, that according to the riches of, of, his, of himself, of all of his attributes, namely his, his, omni, his omnipotence, what does he pray for? Number one, that the power, that the Spirit would give power, and what does the Spirit give power for? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and then that you may comprehend and know the love of Christ and then that you may look like God, that you may be filled with God's fullness. Right? This, this order is there for a reason. Godliness works itself from the inside out. But again, we, the temptation oftentimes is to skip steps and try to outwardly look like all of those things without actually having the necessary components under the hood to actually make them genuinely. You need to be filled with God's fullness instead of faux godliness. What are, what are, what are faux things? Okay, so plastic planks of wood, like I'm not, shooting, I'm not shooting anybody here. Like I have plastic planks of wood in my home too. It's okay, right? Talking about decor, like what is, what is faux? What is fake? Like plastic planks of wood. Did you know that they have like peel and stick granite countertops now, like this, this film that you can put on your countertops to make them look granite. Fake flowers, like those are the only kinds that survive in TKK, but I mean, who likes fake flowers? Like, I'm not taking shots at anybody's decor because, right, we have that same decor, but it is a warning, right, not to let your Christian life look like your decor, Right, to not skip Christ dwelling so that you may have Christian decorum. Right, to not skip knowing the love of Christ and instead learn Christianese. Right, faux godliness is no good. It's not the real thing. And it can be as serious as looking like a Christian without actually being one at all. Or it can look like trying to look like a mature Christian instead of doing the hard work to actually become one. Right? Paul says later in this letter, we are to grow up into Christ. Christian growth is a, is a progressive reality. And from this passage, we know it's a, it's a reality that, that works itself from the inside outward. You can't skip the internal component. So what if, what if this sermon is me, right? Some of us may be asking that question. You know, how, what do I do if I know right, that, I've, that I've skipped some steps? What, what, if, what if the love of Christ has become cold and distant? Right? What, if, what if the beauty of the gospel has faded away? and I've been distracted unto other things. Right, what, if I have, what if I have prioritized Christian decorum over Christ's dwelling? What, what if I'm versed in Christianese yet know nothing of the love of Christ? What if, what if I'm marked by faux godliness instead of the fullness of God? Or to, to put it in Jesus' terms, what if I've built my house on the sand and the flood has knocked it all down. 
How do we fix it? Right, what's the solution to the problem? And I would say first and foremost, pray this prayer for yourself. Right, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, has, has given us a wonderful prayer that illustrates what real, true Christian growth is, authentic Christian growth is. Pray this prayer for yourself. Pray it for your children. What a danger for for, for some of us to, to grow up under the means of grace and to try to skip those steps. We don't want that for them. What we want is for Christ to dwell in their hearts, for them to know the love of Christ in all of its fullness, for them to be filled with God himself. Pray this prayer. But also... Read a gospel. I remember, you know, after I first became a Christian, I read the gospel of John and it was just, it, it, it just came to life. The, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ just leaped off the pages. And what, is, what does Jesus tell the church at Ephesus later in Revelation chapter two after he indicts them for losing their first love to repent and return? Go back, do the, he says literally, do those things which you did at first. Read a gospel. But also just slow down in the Christian life. And we get such a hurry with everything. We got microwavable meals, we got microwavable fun. We don't need microwavable Christianity. Cultivate the habit of meditating on Christ. Cultivate the habit of meditating on the scriptures, of thinking about him, of contemplating him. But lastly, we need to take up our cross and crucify the pride that often leads us to this place. Right? Why, why do we want to demonstrate the fruits of godliness so often, so quickly? It's because we want to look, we want to look good. It's prideful. Jesus says, you know, you have to be built from the inside out. You have to grow from the inside out. So so what does make a lasting Christian? What's the same thing that made you a Christian in the first place? It's Jesus. It's Jesus dwelling in your hearts through faith. It's knowledge of the love of Christ. It's growing in the fullness of God. Christ is who made you a Christian. But also, right, the point of the sermon is, is Christ is what keeps you a Christian. You will never, ever, 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 not even in eternity, grow advance, graduate from the Lord Jesus. He is the very center of who we are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these wonderful reminders. What is the priority of the Christian life? Well, it's Christ. What's the priority of life at all? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, Father, for the reminder to to reprioritize our Christian lives. We pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would work these things in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.